Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Ocean State Bird Club. Delighted to sponsor Ray Brown's Talkin' Birds. This October, if you hear ravens in your neighborhood croaking nevermore, it's time to get out of the house. And the best place to go is on one of Ocean State Bird Club's terrific free walks. Find us on Facebook and online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 751. Well, we at Talking Birds have a good friend at our flagship station here in Massachusetts, WATD. And her name is, wait for it, Liz Raven. She's the amazingly talented afternoon drive host on the station. And we want to thank her for sending us info for what's become this morning's opening piece for our show. Based on an article from the Washington Post headlined, Some birds are so stressed by noise pollution, it looks like they have PTSD. And the headline is accompanied by a photo of a western bluebird that looks, well, stressed. The story goes on to describe the plight of this bluebird, which built its nest close to a natural gas compressor, whose constant whine... Something like that, maybe. Made it hard for the bird to hear the sounds of, for example, potential predators. Because of the noise, the bird had to maintain constant vigilance, resulting in hormone-level problems and deteriorating health. And with a nest full of hatchlings, which suffered developmentally from the noise, she couldn't just pick up and move. The story quotes the Florida Museum of Natural History's Rob Gorelnik as saying that, quote, noise is causing birds to be in a situation where they're chronically stressed, and that has really huge health consequences for birds and their offspring, end quote. We have a link to another story with more about the perils of noise pollution, particularly for birds, right now on our website, TalkingBirds.com. That we'll suggest is not noise pollution. It is instead this morning's mystery bird. This is a preview of the contest. So you'll be ready for that coming along a little bit later on. Our mystery bird is kind of a flashy little fellow that flits about forest floors on the mountains of the western U.S. and Canada, then floods in flocks to the rest of North America for winter. Our bird's coloration varies a lot, but it's generally dark brown or gray, dark gray or brown, with a pink bill and white outer tail feathers that periodically flash, especially when the bird is flying. Our bird hops around the bases of trees and shrubs and out onto lawns looking for fallen seeds. We have some beautiful prizes, uh, as usual, including Droll Yankees. New generation 13-inch metal finch sock that combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal. And it holds a full pound of niger seed, a.k.a. thistle seed. Bonus prizes include a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app 
the app that makes learning bird sounds a game, plus a 12-ounce bag of delicious, shade-grown, bird-friendly birds and beans coffee. All on our Mystery Bird Contest coming along here in just a bit. Meanwhile, we have a conservation salute to yours truly's hometown, the great city of Boston, where this week Mayor Marty Walsh announced that all of Boston's new city-owned buildings will be constructed with carbon-neutral designs. The decision is part of the city's goal of going carbon-neutral by 2050, and it also calls for the development of standards that will require large building owners to retrofit their properties to cut down on carbon emissions. With more than half of the city's greenhouse gas emissions coming from large commercial and industrial buildings, the mayor says the new standards will help Boston reach the carbon-neutral goals laid out in the Paris Climate Agreement. So, way to go, Mayor Marty Walsh in the city of Boston. We also say way to go so to some new Talking Birds ambassadors. They are listeners of the show who have been so kind as to say, we'll help promote the show and birds in conservation. So, thank you so much to our new ambassadors, including Sean F. from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Sean. Thank you to Tanya G. from Arlington, Virginia. Tanya was a Mystery Bird Contest winner just a few weeks ago. She says, been enjoying the show since I saw it live at the Natural History Museum, show number 500. That's right. We celebrated that 500th show there at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C. That was pretty exciting. Thank you, Tanya. And thanks to Jeff C. from Hingham, Massachusetts. He says, I visited the Birdwatcher's General Store last Monday. Asked for the mighty Mike, but he was out. Off birding. Go figure. He did leave a message outside the door. Today's special. Free squirrel secrets directly from Ukraine. Though tempted, says Jeff, I resisted for fear of some quid pro quo. And there's another sign there. He says, Countdown to the Birdwatcher's General Store's Hat Full of Potatoes Day on November 23rd. Wherever you are in North America, it's time to make plans to be there. And indeed it is. It is a -a one-of-a-kind event. Thank you so much, Jeff. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our Ambassadors family. It's easy to take part. To find out how, just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button at the top of the page, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll learn more about the deep decline of grassland birds and how a group in the Dakotas is fighting back when we talk with National Audubon Director of Conservation Ranching. Um, oh, I'm hesitating here because we had a little change in uh, with, the, with National Audubon. Okay. That will be the standard for previewing our guests uh, here on our show. But we'll find him very interesting, to be sure. Uh, Meanwhile, in our Let's Ask Mike installment, Mike O'Connor will enlighten us about the most abundant bird in the world. And up next, we'll revisit the story of the ruddy duck and its attempts to be accepted over in the U.K. That's in our featured Feathered Friends segment, presented by Birdwatching magazine for more than a quarter century. Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Well, listen to what some folks across the pond have to say about today's featured feathered friend, 
the ruddy duck. We don't want your bloody ruddy. Yes, not everybody in the UK is pleased by the presence of the bird that we on this side of the Atlantic think is kind of cool. So why do the flyers of the Union Jack not care for this fast flyer? Well, for a pretty good reason, maybe. Because having established themselves in Great Britain and parts of mainland Europe, ruddy ducks began interbreeding with the endangered native white-headed duck. And in England, at least, up with that, they will not put. So a controversial plan was put into effect to eliminate the ruddy duck, despite its striking appearance. The male ruddy duck has a bright blue bill, large white cheek patches, a black head and neck, and bright cinnamon color over most of its body. And instead of a stiff upper lip, it has a very distinctive long, stiff tail, which it often holds almost straight up to display. The female also has that unusual tail, but is much less colorful, mostly brown and tan. The ruddy duck is generally quiet, except in breeding season, when you'll hear this small outboard motor trying to start up sound from the male. We like the way it looks and sounds around here, so English friends, send us your huddled masses of ruddy ducks yearning to breed free. Sorry about that. The ruddy duck, Oxura jamaicensis. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Welcome again to our show number 751. We hope you'll visit our sparkling new website at the same old address. That's TalkingBirds.com. And please do follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. Marshall Johnson is Vice President, Conservation Ranching for National Audubon. And he joins us on the phone right now from... Not in the Dakotas, where he lives and works, but in a place that's even earlier this morning, San Francisco, California, here to talk about the precipitous decline of grassland birds and what his organizations are doing to try to reverse that trend. Good morning, Marshall. We don't have Marshall here at the moment? Okay, we're going to work on this, and I'm confident that we will get, uh, get a hold of Marshall here in just a moment here. He lives and works in Fargo, North Dakota, traveling today out in San Francisco, and I think we finally have him now. Hi there, Marshall. Hi, Ray. I knew we would get you there, as far away <laughs> as you are. Well, tell us, uh, Marshall, about the plight of grassland birds. Uh, we know there's been a big decline. How, how much of a decline, and what are the main reasons for it? Yeah, absolutely, and I, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, grassland birds are the most uh, quickly and fast uh, declining suite of birds in America. Uh, we've see, experienced about 50% decline in grassland birds over the last uh, 50 to 100 years, uh, and it's being driven in large part by habitat loss, uh, we lose rough, roughly one million acres of uh, grasslands in the in the Great Plains mm. every year. Wow! We estimate that uh, everyone. I think uh, a lot of your listeners have seen the uh, one in four uh, bird loss over the last forty years, mm -hmm. uh, and that 
equates to about 3 billion birds. Mm. We estimate about 800 million of those alone have been grassland birds. Mm -hmm. Well, you have some solutions you're working on, and one of them is called the Working Lands Program, and it has several parts to us. Give us a quick overview, uh, Marshall, if you can, about the Working Lands Program. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Audubon, we're really leaning into this. Uh, we Birds are the prism through which we view our work, and grassland birds are calling out to us uh, like never before. Mm. And so uh, with 90% of America's grasslands either owned or managed uh, by cattle ranchers, uh, we know that our most important partner um, are America's cattle ranchers. And so uh, whether it's cost-sharing fencing for rotational grazing or uh, our Audubon Conservation Ranching uh, market-based program where we're wanting to connect uh, eco-conscious ranchers to uh, bird lovers uh, across the, the country uh, and uh, it create a marketplace for, for that type of, of ranching that enhances grassland bird habitat. Uh, we're kind of going all in uh, to help uh, save grassland birds here in America. Mm -hmm. Well, many of us uh, back east here don't know a lot about cattle, but you say when used effectively, cattle are one of the best tools for creating high-quality habitat for birds and wildlife. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Historically, uh, within the uh, grassland landscape, bison uh, always roamed this geography from the Ohio Valley out to the Intermountain West and west of the Rocky Mountains um, and down to the Chihuahuan uh, grassland. And so uh, cattle, while they graze uh, by nature uh, very differently than bison, through regenerative grazing techniques, uh, rotational grazing techniques, uh, cattle can actually mimic uh, many of the benefits that bison provided for this landscape. And this is an ecosystem that evolved over time through both fire and disturbance, mainly uh, large ruminants uh, like bison out on the landscape. Mm. Well, speaking of fire, you also have something called the North Dakota Prescribed Fire <coughs> Cooperative. What is that about? <laughs> Trying to, what we've seen uh, over the last 50 uh, plus years uh, is fire as a management tool and as, a, as something that occurs out on the landscape in the grassland uh, ecosystem has disappeared. And prescribed fire can be just a great tool for increasing forage quality for uh, uh, livestock, uh, but more importantly for Audubon, uh, it's a great tool for creating a mosaic of patchwork of habitat, uh, which grassland birds such as chestnut-collared longspur, western meadowlark, and so many others are dependent on that kind of patchwork mosaic of grasslands. And so fire is a vital role in, in creating that optimal habitat. We may uh, not be able to put too many more acres back on the landscape of grasslands. Uh, we've lost about 450 million grassland acres over the last uh, 50 to 100 years. But what we can do is uh, optimize the grassland acres that we have so that they're more uh, uh, friendly 
and 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 accepting and providing habitat for grassland birds. Well, another thing, uh, Marshall, that would surprise the people in the East, at least, uh, having to do with cattle and beef. We don't normally associate beef with uh, birds somehow, but uh, you have this Auto- Audubon certification seal uh, for beef that is, in some way, if you'll tell us how, helpful to birds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a part of Audubon doing what we were created uh, to do more than 100 years ago, and that's impacting marketplaces. Uh, Audubon began as an organization, uh, a group of, of, of folks who were passionate about birds and seeing what the plume and trade industry was doing, uh, kind of decimating uh, birds just for uh, uh, women's fashion. And a group of uh, mostly women got together and started advocating on birds and changed that whole marketplace. Mm-hmm. Knowing that cattle ranches are at the heart of uh, grassland bird habitat and, and maintaining grassland bird habitat, roughly four or five years ago, we created a market-based program um, to drive better outcomes for grassland birds and have consumers uh, kind of uh, support that in the marketplace. I think that it's the best idea in grasslands conservation. Uh, Ray, there's several hundred, maybe even thousand grassland bird conservationists like myself, but there are several hundred million people and more than 50 million people love birds and uh, if they're willing to look for the Audubon certification, when you see that certification on a a product uh, you know that uh, a a high standard for habitat management uh, environmental stewardship on the farm and ranch uh, has been achieved, and it's supporting this most imperiled suite of grassland birds. Um, I think have uh, creating programs that allow the market to directly benefit uh, farmers and ranchers who are doing the right thing is the right way to go. Amazing stuff. And tell me if this is the best address for folks to find out more, dakota.audubon.org. Absolutely. Marshall Johnson is Vice President, Conservation Ranching National Audubon and works there with Audubon Dakota. Marshall, thank you so much for being with us and keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Coming up next here is our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. Poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. I grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of Ohio, where animals roamed freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife to preserve natural habitats and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. On to our contest. I will play the sound again of our mystery bird here. Description. A kind of a flashy little fellow in a way that flits about forest floors 
with the mountains of the western U.S. and Canada, then floods in flocks to the rest of North America for a winter. Our bird's coloration varies a lot, but it's generally dark gray or brown with a pink bill and white outer tail feathers that periodically flash, especially when flying. Our bird hops around the bases of trees and shrubs and out onto lawns looking for fallen seeds. Beautiful prizes including the Droll Yankees New Generation 13-inch Metal Finch Sock. Plus, it downloads your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game, and a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. I have to push this button over here. That would be the Do Not Disturb button. Okay, we've got that all set. And the number to call is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Please call us as soon as possible so that we don't run out of time. And especially today, that could be uh, happening because we have a lot of interesting things happening in the technical realm uh, here this morning. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Meanwhile, we'll check in with... Mike O'Connor, down at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod and find out what is the world's most abundant bird. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Birds. We're for the birds, and we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation. My name is Celia Trosper, and I'm calling from Kenosha, Wisconsin. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I travel so much and meet so many new people. I always end up bringing birds into the conversation, so it just makes it easier to be able to hand them a little card. I think other listeners should become ambassadors because it's really an easy way to bring awareness about the needs of our feathered friends and our environment. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. It's a little bit of a cloudy day, but of course in Cape Cod it is gloriously sunny. That's where Mike O'Connor is here for our Let's Ask Mike segment. Good morning, Mike. Just putting on the sunblock now, Ray. Oh my goodness. Keep that hat on there with the wide brim. You're going <laughs> to... You're hey, I want to yeah, I want to yeah. give a shout out to Jeff. That was a nice note you read, Mighty Mike. I I kind of like that name, you know. Mighty I think Mike. we got to go with. <laughs> yeah, he fits. called. Yeah. He came in, stopped in the store, and I missed him, and uh, I'm, I I feel bad. Sorry, Jeff. I, yeah. I I owe you, but I'm sorry I wasn't there when you were there. But yeah, without burning, if it's a nice day. Like today, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe he'll come back for a hat full of potatoes day on November twenty oh, third. I'll give an extra one. I'll, put, yeah. I'll sneak one in on the side. Give an extra spud. All right. <laughs> so, Mike, I know you want to uh, tell us about the most abundant bird in the world, and we figured we know what this is: the red-billed quelea from sub-Saharan Africa. In the millions, that bird. It, are we uh, correct about that? Uh uh, no, 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 not really. That's a nice guess, Ray. Thank but uh, yeah, red-billed quelea in Africa. There is actually a lot of those. They mm-hmm. uh, they say close to the, maybe 1.5 billion of those, and they wow. kind of roam and um, really taking advantage of the agriculture, which I'm sure the farmers don't like. But they, mm-hmm. they eat a lot of melon and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's one bird that I think 
I've never seen a red-billed quelia. Have you? I have not, but I have no. I haven't. A lot that I'm aware of having seen it. No. <laughs> I haven't been to sub-Saharan Africa, so probably not. Yeah, probably not. But the most common bird, I think most people uh, uh, listening to your show probably have seen this bird. Yeah. It's the, uh, our old friend, the domesticated chicken. I you never thought those. of that, did you? I have seen them, though, yes. I no. have seen them. With a population pushing 23 billion, holy smokes. Wow. That means for every person in the world, there's three chickens. So wow. if there's going to be a, a revolt, it's going to come from the chickens. Come from the chickens. The Who knew? Yeah. They've okay. got the numbers. And it's big in a revolt. So mm-hmm. People seem to be arguing where the domesticated chicken came from. Mm-hmm. Um, your your, your um, high school buddy, Charles Darwin, always told everyone <laughs> oh, that it Charles, came. I miss him. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard from him lately, oh, by the way? He never calls. He no, never calls. <laughs> he, he said it was from the red jungle fowl, which is a... Mm-hmm. Looks just like a chicken. Looks like Rhode Island Red, as a matter of fact, or mm. somewhat like it. Yeah. But they're a, a, a truly wild bird that roams the, the uh, tropics of Southeast Asia. Mm. Other people claim that it's uh, a lot has to do with the, the great jungle fowl from India, and they think it was first domesticated in India probably five between five and eight thousand years ago. Mm. But then other people go think it has to do with China. And <laughs> believe it or not, there's these researchers going from continent to continent, looking for chicken bones, trying to come up with an answer wow. for this. How long, are, how long ago and where the first domesticated chicken came from? Wow, pretty. I thought they came from Kentucky, but I guess that's just the, the fried ones. <laughs> that's where the fried there. ones come yeah. from. <laughs> there you go. Thanks for All that. right, well, Mighty Mike signing off for today. Now we know. Thank you, Mike. Okay, talk to you later. Michael Connor. They're at the famous Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans. Cape Cod for our Let's Ask Mike segment. Back to the Mystery Bird Contest right after this. The September-October issue of Birdwatching Magazine is now available at Barnes & Noble and other newsstands. It features a story about the uncertain future of the whooping crane, tips for photographing birds that fly fast, and a guide to fall and winter birding festivals. Plus, Ken Kaufman describes how to identify wandering tattler. David Sibley provides a closer look at crows and much more. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Let's see, uh, where are we? We're going to, um, uh, can we go to uh, Catherine in Delhi, New York? This is our mystery bird uh, contest, in case we didn't uh, mention that, trying to identify this flashy uh, little fellow, our mystery bird, and uh, attempting to give away these prizes this morning. We always give away the prizes because if no one gets the right answer, we still have a winner uh, by uh, virtue of a drawing is how that uh, works. 781 837 Four nine hundred is the number. We have Catherine in Delhi, New York. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well. Nice to hear from you. It's a little uh, cloudy here. How is it up in? Is it up? Well, let's see. Uh, what direction would Delhi be from here? A little sun? west and maybe a little south. We're in the Catskill Mountains, and ah. it's a rainy day here. Okay. All right. Well, we're sharing the same kind of uh, weather. It sounds like, but perhaps we can brighten everything up here with a correct answer on our uh, our mystery bird uh, contest. You heard the clues. Well, and I think all that. you gave me an easy one today. A, I think yeah. it's the dark-eyed junco. Uh, well, we have the slate-colored version here. Yes. Okay. It was kind of an easy one. Not to take anything away from your getting it correct, but uh, 
<laughs> I'm just agreeing with you that it was a, a relatively easy one compared to uh, some others. Yeah, so that well, used we to see be... a lot of them over here. So. Yeah, so you say you have the slate-colored version, which is what we have here uh, in Massachusetts, and there are several other varieties too. Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we used to call it the slate-colored junco. When I started birding, that was what it was called. Yeah, yeah back in the seventies. <laughs> in the in, in the seventies, and uh, I know you don't remember the seventies, Catherine. Of course, neither do I. But we heard about that from uh, from uh, parents and grandparents and so on. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. Uh, if you'll stay on the line, we'll arrange to send those prizes to you uh, as soon as possible. Thank you, Ray. All right, thank you, Catherine in Delhi, New York, correctly identifying. Um, what? The dark-eyed junco as our mystery bird. And with that, we are out of time for this morning's show. Thank you so much for uh, being with us and listening to our show. And thank you to our fantastic Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, now with us from Kentucky, by the way. More about that soon. And our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Ocean State Bird Club. Delighted to sponsor Ray Brown's Talking Birds. This October, if you hear ravens in your neighborhood croaking nevermore, it's time to get out of the house. And the best place to go is on one of Ocean State Bird Club's terrific free walks. Find us on Facebook and online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. Ocean State Bird Club. Yeah.